So this is Barry. I'm with a couple of friends of mine, Stephen Fisher, who I've known for a long time and uh, is a good buddy, and his son, Matthew. And they've written a book together called Light Shines Through the Broken Pieces, uh, which I like. I'm always a sucker for a father-son story, and uh, I really like this one. So I thought we'd bring him in and talk a little bit about family relationships, addiction, and uh, just healing and dealing with the world that we got today. So welcome to both of you guys. Glad you're here. And, and Stephen, why don't you t just tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, and why we're here. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us, Barry. Um, so I'm a therapist. I have a master's degree in counseling. I've got license. I've been doing this for almost 25 years. I've talked to more adults, kids, couples, families I can count. Love doing it. Wouldn't do anything else. Um, it's it's a, certainly a, a passion and a calling for, for what I do, so I feel very blessed in that. Um, I, um, my wife Liz is also a therapist with me, and looks like Matthew is trying to follow in our footsteps too. So, yeah, excited and, about uh, that. So it's it's one thing being a therapist with other people's kids, but it's different when it's your own kid, mm -hmm. and uh, it's different when it's your own dad. So, how did that kind of unfold for you, Matthew? Where are you at with that now? Um, yeah, just as as far as where I'm at in life now, or like my own journey with it all, or what? Would just with your uh, with your journey and with the made you decide to write this book with your dad yeah yeah so you know i i, I kind of had my own um struggles with substance abuse um and yeah i just just was able to kind of turn things around at 18 really because of the the love and support of my family and um you know that just gave me a huge passion for working with 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 teenagers and, and adults in recovery i i have been working in drug and alcohol treatment for about three years. Um, and I'm currently working on a degree in addiction psychology. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of having that personal lived experience of recovery and, and also just, um, really, yeah, having, um, such amazing supportive parents that have, have really modeled, um, modeled good therapy, good parenting, and, and really just having that, um, ideal in my life. Cool. Cool. And I know, uh, addiction, uh, blows families up. And so you're working uh, with families, and I know you guys are just getting ready to start something where you'll be able to work with the whole family together, you and your wife, and also you working with uh, with kids too. So talk a little bit about that and what the goal is for that. Absolutely. So the program is called Healing Family Relationships, and it's really about working with families, especially with teens that are struggling with addiction or, or behavior problems. And so we'll have a once-a-month, four-hour seminar and then we can work with couples, with the parents. Um, Liz can work with people. I can work with people individually in couples. Um, Matthew can also work with teens who are struggling with addiction. We'll do some family work together. So we'll do some individual couple and family work together to kind of work with families outside of the once-a-month workshop as well. And it's called Healing Family Relationships. That's the program is coming up next month. Great. Great. I wish you the best with that. And uh, I know uh, you. I've known you for quite a while, yeah. Matthew. And uh, we got to meet when you were in... Uh, your uh, your phase is a middle schooler and high schooler and so you know when you look at going through a journey of addiction uh, when you when you're young and then going into recovery when you're young that's something that most young people don't want to do what do you think what do you think got you there hmm um, yeah I mean I think um, really just having like a, a background of, of supports and and really being, being with my high, um, you know, is gave, I feel like I had a really strong spiritual practice to fall back onto, which, which, um, when I did choose to get into recovery was, was huge. Um, but it really, it really came down to, to my parents and the support they gave me. Um, 
you know, kind of the, the turning point for me was I was about 18. Um, I was at a girl I was seeing's house and we were taking, um, well, I was, I took some painkillers and LSD. Um, and just, you ever heard of like kind of a bad trip with acid? Yeah. So I was, was starting to feel anxious and I started, I told this girl and I was like, Hey, I'm feeling really panicky. And, and she was like, Hey, like, I don't want to deal with you. Um, you're bringing down my, my trip. And so, um, I, yeah, I just panicked and I was like, I need to leave. And she's like, all right, give me your keys. Um, I don't want you to drive and which is cool. Grateful for that. Um, but I, I left, I was so high, I forgot my shoes, my jacket. So I'm just wandering around her neighborhood at like one o'clock in the morning, um, in February, um, so it's like, you know, snow, snow on the ground. It's like, you know, maybe 30 degrees out and I'm, I just find my car and I, you know, it was unlocked thankfully. So I'm like in my car, no heat. Um, just like my hands are like, you know, blue and I'm just like really cold and I'm just like, just the acid. I'm just like really reliving all these experiences in my life. And, and really just, I remember going through my phone and even calling some people and just, just realizing like, wow, like I've burned so many bridges and I just really have no one at this point in my life. Um, you know, and my mom had texted me, you know, earlier and she's, she's kind of psychic that way. But, um, yeah, I was like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this situation. So I, you know, um, I made the decision to call them and, um, yeah, they, um, they, you know, I was, I couldn't remember the address and, but I, I could see across street, and my dad was really good with directions in Denver. So he kind of came and found me and, um, yeah, they, they, they picked me up and, um, and took me, took me home. And I remember I, I experienced, um, psychosis for about a month. Um, you know, I couldn't work. It was, I could like, I remember the next day I couldn't walk my dog around the neighborhood. Um, so I was just really like, I, I thought I'd develop schizophrenia. Um, so, I, you know, really just having my parents there through that point in time, it was kind of, I almost felt like a, like an infant and like just really vulnerable and, 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 uh, helpless. And, and they really helped me kind of rebuild myself. And, um, yeah, it was like really rebuilding that relationship with them. And, and as I, about a month, you know, into it, a couple of weeks, I, I started to feel better and I could work again. Um, and I was like, I just can't keep living like this. So I remember, I remember like buying, um, book I got like I started reading a lot of Daniel Amen change your brain change your life um healing depression for life just books like that and just being like trying to understand myself and my brain and my my body and addiction and being like what's how do I heal myself so I started doing yoga I took a yoga teacher training I really started getting back involved in my spiritual practice um and yeah just really taking care of myself and um yeah that was that was kind of like the the last time I, I really dove into um, any sort of hard substances and um, this really huge turning point in my life. Cool. Yeah. All right. Good. And so, uh, yeah, what's it like going through this as a dad? It was a little crazy. Um, so getting that call at 1 o'clock in the morning and Matthew is clearly not doing well. So Liz and I are – Liz is on the phone with Matthew just talking through and he's trying to give directions in his current state of mind and I'm trying to figure it out. We, we pull up in this apartment complex across town and – there he is in his car, and he's just shivering. He's just absolutely shivering, and he looks up, and the relief on his face is like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank God you're here. And so, you know, we give him a hug, and we talk to him, and Liz drives his car home, and I'm driving him home. And as we're driving home, Matthew keeps saying to me, Dad, 
the love is all gone. Where did it go? And he kept on saying it over and over again. The love is all gone. I said, Matthew, it's right here. It never left. And that's the fundamental place that Liz and I were standing at with Matthew through all of his ups and downs is that no matter what was going on, we always saw our amazing son who we loved and we see the goodness and the divine within him every single moment, even when we're having to set boundaries, even when we're in court and I'm telling the judge to stick it to him. <laughs> I still see this amazing, beautiful human being. Yeah. Never lost sight of that for one second. Yeah. No, that's good. And I'm glad <clears throat> I'm glad you're going to be working with families because I think the undercurrent that brings so much anger to families is fear. I mean, yeah. we're afraid as parents. Yeah. We're afraid that something bad's going to happen to our kids. Yeah. And so and it shows up as fear. It shows up as anger. Yeah. And it shows up as these arguments, and and uh, I think being able to work with families and try to get to the core of things is really an important part of it. And yeah. uh, uh, you know, I know for your work, Matthew, of working with young people who, uh, you know, we want to have fun when we're young. We want to have a good time, and you know, uh, our culture is really just uh, filled with drugs and entertainment. And so to say, well, I'm going to stop doing that. I mean, how how can uh, how can young people get there sooner before they have to hit bottom, or do they have to hit bottom? Hmm. Well, I remember, um, you know, a kid coming through treatment. He's about eighteen and and had had overdosed on um, Xanax. So he, you know, this kid almost died, and you know, his mom's like making him go to treatment. And uh, you know, I remember talking to him, and and I'm like, well, what's your plan? Um, you know, do you plan on staying sober? And he's like, dude, honestly, like just it seems so lame. Like, I don't like, how yeah. am I going to have fun? How yeah. am I going to meet people? I'm 18. Like, I'm going to go to college. What do you expect me to do? I'm like, you just almost like died and you're, you're still not willing to give up substances. And, um, so I didn't say that to him, but I was just kind of reflecting and, and asking him, getting a little deeper being like, well, why, why do you feel like you're, you know, why do you feel like that? And, and really, I think we just got to this point where he's like, I just don't know how to connect with people without drugs. I don't know. I, I feel like I just would never have any friends. And I, and, and it just seemed like for him, it was like just so isolating and scary. And, and it wasn't even about like having fun, like very obviously overdosing is not fun. Partying and till you blackout is not fun at, at this point. But it was, I think it was really this fear of, of isolation and disconnection. And, and I, I think beyond like the fun, you know, people are like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, let's go, let's go have fun and drink and stuff. And, and I think really be underneath that is this desire to connect. Yeah. Really, that's deeper than the, the just having fun. And, and I think so many times we're given this message in our culture of like, you know, you can't connect with people unless you're drinking or unless you're high or especially in Colorado, you know, mile high. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, um, you know, just I, I think there's this expectation and I, I, I'm like joke that I always have to explain to people why I don't smoke marijuana in Colorado. They're like, yeah, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> um, but um, it's like there's this expectation that that's just what you do. And, and I think there there actually is this huge world out there. And, and being sober for me has unlocked rock climbing, yoga, meditation, out outdoor recreation and, and just so many beautiful, amazing people. And I really think it's it's letting kids know that there's other ways to connect to community that doesn't involve substances, especially in, in college and, and um, in high school and, and really helping, you know, kids find a positive outlet to connect with people because that's what we all really want. Well, I think part of the thing uh, with you two is that uh, you really rediscovered that connection with your parents. 
you know, and I think it's natural for us when we're like in middle school and high school to push away from our parents. That's just part of our development. And when drugs are associated with that, you know, my parents don't understand. I'm not getting high with my parents, getting high with my friends. And I think that connection that you found at a low point in your life, but going forward in, in recovery, too, to have a strong family thing. I think that's a, a big part of your therapy to keep the family to keep the family intact and to mm-hmm. work through this thing together, even though it might be really hard. Yep, right, absolutely. And so I think that uh, that's an important part of it because you had that connection, and a lot of people don't. And I think that that's something that that is a part of your work uh, is is that connection for young people to find it in their family and to not just let their family go. And another thing I liked in your book that you talked about when you were in high school is just connecting with the aspect of uh, toxic masculinity in males and that culture, that thing that we have in our culture. And I was reading a uh, editorial this weekend by David Brooks about men and boys falling behind and not being able to find their place in the culture. And drugs and uh, addiction are, are, are a way that men are dealing with that. And so... How do you how do you deal with dudes that are your age about the recovery thing? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's just modeling that. Um, you know, I don't think it ever works to be like, oh, like you know, you're messing up and there's something wrong with you, or like telling them what to do, but just really being like, yeah, like you know, I'm sober and I have plenty of friends and and I um, I have a life that I really love. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think kind of touching on the whole toxic masculinity piece is like men are conditioned from a very young age. I feel like just with football and, you know, it's like on the football team or our media or whatever, you know, pornography especially is just like this message of you can't be vulnerable, you can't share your feelings, that um, status is linked to to sex, to drugs, to partying. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of, you know, that you think of like the, the stereotypical male hero in a, in a movie, you know, he's getting all the women, he's probably drinking, he's very stoic, James Bonds or whatnot. And, and really breaking that stereotype and being like, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's cool to, to express your emotions. It's cool to, um, to have healthy relationships with women and other men. And like, um, yeah, really breaking down those stereotypes is really important. Yeah. And also, yeah, I think, you know, my, my uncle is a coach in, um, in Tennessee and, and he works with a program that's really teaching men through sports and boys through sports, like healthy masculinity and loving relationships. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you the thing with parents, you're going to be working with a lot of parents and a lot of parents are going through their own conflicts between mm-hmm. each other by the yeah. time their kids get to be in middle school and high school yeah. and you deal with a lot of that. How do they, uh, how do they work together? Even if the parents have their own uh connection issues how do they put mm-hmm. uh how do they put the family in the front position and helping to get their kids so right absolutely so with the parents that starts with parents have to own our issues too i don't know of any perfect parents unless you're like jesus or buddha or something like that i've never met one mm-hmm. i'm a good parent i'm not a perfect one by any means he'll tell you that for sure but i if parents are looking at their own issues and they can take account of their own core fears, their own trauma from their past, their own patterns of how they were parented, their own issues with their parents or their dad or their mother or their own history, and look at how they parent, how they, uh, if they can really own responsibility for their issues mm-hmm. and then they can work on their communication as a couple, then the kids are, it's easy to bring the teens and kids on board with that. Mm-hmm. If the parents won't do it, 
we're pretty much dead in the water. I can't get the kids to do it if the parents won't do it. So the parents model behavior we want to see from the kids of taking accountability for their own stuff, of communicating in a loving way, of really being mindful and not just playing the blame game. Because the problem is not the kids and the problem is not the parents. The problem is how we communicate in a blaming and critical manner. Yeah. So the, it's the blame game. If we can stop the blame game, then we can do anything there. If we get the process right, the product is going to be just fine. And that's where the, that's where it starts with the parents. Yeah. I, you know, I always say when I'm doing parenting workshops that this is a, uh, I tell the parents, this is a self-improvement workshop that your kids have tricked you into taking. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, Absolutely. I think that's what yep. a parenting workshop is. And mm-hmm. that's what this family therapy mm-hmm. thing is going to be for you. And it's, I'm really glad that you're going to be there to talk with the kids, too, because I think a lot of times uh, when we're young and we think about recovery, it's like, oh, yeah, going to AA meetings with a bunch of old guys telling their stories. I don't want to do that. That's stupid. I'm only 18. I'm only 20. And I think to, to have a... A voice of not only a voice of experience, but a voice of hope and a vo- and, and a model of uh, no life can work, life can work without drugs, and I think that that's that's a really important part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think for parents, a lot of times it's just get getting off our authority horse. Yeah, and I think a lot of that really comes from fear as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because. Uh, there's just a lot of fear in our culture. Uh, the media projects a lot of fear at us. Yeah. We're processing it, and our kids are processing it, too. Yep. The kids are processing Absolutely. it, too. And so I know you've been in a lot of recovery groups that got young people in them. What What do you recommend in terms of the type of, uh, uh, the type of dialogue and the type of um, process that goes on in a place like that? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I really um, feel like mindfulness is huge and there's a lot of um, a lot of programs out there that are starting to incorporate mindfulness more and just looking mm-hmm. at the, the impacts on the brain. But um, yeah, I've been going to like um, recovery Dharma is, is a really good one or, or um, you know, worked at um, North Star Transitions, which is a is adult treatment, but we, we have a really big um, mindfulness based recovery system. But um you know, I, I, I think that, that AA is, is great, and I, I personally didn't go through it, but I, I think people can have um, some reservations, and, and, and it can be like a little bit shame-based, or um, you know, some people kind of find it a really religious, but really just finding something where you that's building um, a strong community um, and, and really allowing for deep relationships. And I really, I think there's this whole new model coming out with recovery that, that it's really like, about connection and and healing and addiction is really about recovering lost connection so anything that you're you're finding where you're connecting with a group of people and you're building support um is is really the most important aspect so some some place that has like i would say just incorporates mindfulness that that really allows for open dialogue and 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 just kind of lets go of any sort of shame or or Oh, like you, you know, you're you you relapse, so there's something wrong with you. I think we need to just take that out of the conversation and really provide like an open, just place for people to com- communicate and connect and heal. I, I love the thing about community because uh, you, you know one of uh, one of my buddies here, Reverend Raz, who's in recovery, he said that ad- addiction is fostered in isolation and it's healed in community. 
and I think that it's important for what you're talking about for young, that young people can find a community of people where they can make uh, they can make friends and that that somebody cares that they make it. And I think that isolation that we feel when we're an addict, that shame, and that not un, uh, that inability to be able to connect with anybody else, nobody understands the the concept of being terminally unique. Nobody's like me. Uh, I think is, is is something that that needs some healing. Go ahead. I was just going to say you beat me to the punch on that quote from Reverend Raz because I remember that same quote from yeah. him, and yeah. I've always admired that. That's always stuck in my brain. That, and I, and yeah. I just think it's so true mm-hmm. when you, when you're in a community, somebody somebody cares about you that you make it. I mean, you had your parents, and not everybody has their parents. But I, the thing that I really got in your book is how you came back to these people love me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I think being in group. You know, the, the power of group, the power of being around other people that are going through the same thing and pulling for each other and kind of having an accountability partner. And it, it just helps you move towards a higher level of commitment. And I think because not only do you have somebody who cares about you, you care about them and you care about them making it. And I think that you're finding that. And that's, that's why, you know, you've done so much of this wilderness training, too, when people are pulling for each other to go through physical hardship and then it helps them connect with their spiritual hardship as well. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I thank you guys for coming in. And uh, remind us again about your website and this thing that you're going to be starting mm-hmm. up here. So the website is fishertransformation.com. Fishertransformation.com. Mm-hmm. And the program is Healing Family Relationships. Okay. Healing Family Relationships. I want to thank you both for coming in. I uh, I appreciate all the work that you did. I love your book. Your book, once again, light shines through the broken places. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a great family story, and uh, I congratulate you both for doing it. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today. I think we had a great time. I hope you learned something, and uh, let us know if you did. I'm Barry signing off. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you.